Osad? No, this is not Assad doing a Trey Lauer impression. This is actually Trey Lauer doing a Trey Lauer impression. But we are back with uh, another episode of the Lotcast from Trinity Road Times. I, I of course, am, am back. I, I had to miss last week, but Assad did a, a wonderful job filling in. So, uh, but uh, yeah, the general is back. We can, we can move. We can move forward. But anyway, you know. <laughs> uh, we got a lot we need to talk about this week, guys. Uh, state. One state basketball team continues to uh, to put out some great stuff. Another one, uh, there's a lot of conversations around. Um, I guess let's start with the men's team first because um, the, the the person who shares a last name with me has had quite a, a couple of days there of thoughts on this, and I'm interested to hear his point of view. <laughs> ISO, I mean, go ISO. <laughs> <laughs> If I hit too many buttons here, the whole thing's going to shut down for no reason. I wish I could, though. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the same thing it's always been this year. This is a, a, a team that is, frankly, mediocre, and it's putting out mediocre results with a mediocre roster. And I think there's there's a, a misconception of how much you can do with that as a coach. Um, you can do things to a, to a point, but... I ask people to, to, to think about how would you go about creating offense, you know, with, with a situation like this where you have a team that doesn't have any true point guard, right? DJ Horn is a two guard. We've talked about this endlessly, right? Michael O'Connell is not a guy that can create, you know, drill penetration off of the ball screen. They do some things well. Horn is obviously having a, a heater right now, and he's, he's started to find a little bit of versatility, uh, which has been a good coaching adjustment. But there's so many flaws there that what we've seen state do more and more and more is play through burns and it's been effective and you've seen that and it's been a good adjustment from Kevin Keats. Um, but that also keeps burns on the floor on defense and he's an absolute nightmare uh, when you can get him into the ball screen on defense. Like he, he, and so it creates this like weird like situation where to be able to be effective on offense, you have to sacrifice defense for state and you're seeing a team that's a good defensive team with Middlebrooks and Diara, but when those guys are on the court, you lose your primary offensive initiator, your primary initiator of ball movement. And it really speaks to like the roster construction, I think, of this team. And that's also something that really is a trend throughout this coaching era is, is roster construction that just has not worked. Construction, management, however you want, however you, whatever term you want to use is, State has not had the players, and it hasn't been able to keep the players. And we're seeing another, just another example of that. And the coach, you know, a coaching attempt to, to wiggle around that uh, has really been, like, the storyline for me this year. And I think it's been admirable. But at the end of the day, the ceiling for this team is low, and it's going to put out a lot of one-possession games, and it's going to win between 40 and 60% of those. And I don't really see last night as anything different than that. No, I agree with that. I think that's, I think roster construction is the biggest problem. I mean, he can win if he has the right people. I mean, he, he, he won the first year, you know, when he had all those guys and, and he had Al Freeman. Um, I was thinking about this earlier today. When he was at UNC Wilmington, he was successful. But that was the Colonial, I think, at the time. Uh, he recruited players that were really good for the Colonial. I think since he's got to NC State, he's recruiting the same type of players. The ones that he did try to recruit that were, you know, marquee players, none of them ever got to campus and none of them ever played any games. I mean, and then we have the same problem this year. We have MJ Rice. He played about four games and now he's gone. And I don't think we'll ever see him again. Mm-hmm. Um, so to that, to, that, to that end, I think that he's recruiting players and I think he underestimated what he's going to need to win in this league. And I think he, he thought he could win. Uh, with the guys he was getting. And he, I don't think he went out and got the people that he needed to get every year to reestablish, you know, the positions. And I think that's been part of the problem. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I think that puts the nail right on the head. This is something that a lot of fans have been frustrated with over the years is how the teams have been put together. The argument of what he would like to do with, three and D shooting a lot of threes and pressing constantly has not fully planned out. And it's 
one thing that has shown in terms of proof of concept, it will work in flashes. It will work in runs. They had multiple runs this season. They did it again last night, but they have to do that when they get down by double digits. And that's really been the primary problem is they can go in these great offensive runs. They just reel off like nine points in a row, 12 points, 12 nothing runs. But they have to do that because they've dug themselves a big hole that they continually have to dig themselves out of. And the games just seesaw back and forth. And it's very frustrating to see them go down double digits and then erase those lead and go back up and then immediately give those leads back up again. So this has been a recurring theme. We've seen it over and over the last few years where they seemingly have no lead on either side that's safe. A lead that they have or a lead that they're down. You have to keep watching till the end because you don't know what's going to happen. So at least the games are exciting. You know they're going to compete, which is great. But they make the game so much harder for themselves when they let a guy go eight for eight from three in the first half. He sets a career high in the first half of the game. Yeah, they they adjusted in the second half, and he didn't hit another three the rest of the way. But the damage was done. So why 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 do guys keep having career nights? Two different guys had career nights against NC State last night. So it's uh, it's it's honestly it's not uh, something that's unique to just this game and just this season. It's just. A recurring trend, and where does that end up with? They're they're just mid. They're they're in the middle of the pack in the conference uh, again, and that's continually where they have been. They you know haven't really been able to sh- extend themselves apart uh, from anyone else around them, and it doesn't really seem like that's uh, there's no trend to set themselves apart anytime soon. Yeah, and I think um, you know just. I was at a sporting event on Tuesday night, so I haven't been able to watch the game in, in its entirety, but I, I did go back and watch some of the highlights. And, you know, that's a team that, 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 that you're right, it does, they, they put up a fight and they clawed their way back into that game, but they are, they're in need of, they have to win the ACC tournament now, basically, to, to make the NCAA tournament. And I think that's a situation that people are kind of getting tired of. I think that the one thing that Alex said is, is really key, and that is getting lost in sort of this quagmire of losing these frustrating games, is coaching adjustment. That we are seeing Kevin Keats make from one game to the next adjustments to maximize touches for DJ Horn. We didn't know that he was going to be this uh, offensive juggernaut, the guy that can put up 25 points a game seemingly at ease, but the adjustments that they've made on the fly to get Mike O'Connell more involved and the, the, the rotations when he's able to get DJ Burns in and out, uh, you know, play offense, defense with him, he, he's trying his best to, to do it, but obviously within the flow of the game, Burns is going to get caught out there on, on defense and you can't sub him out on the fly. Like, you know, this isn't a, a hockey line that he can just like fly back out. So, you know, it's, it, it's it that part is frustrating that after all these at the amount of time that DJ Burns hasn't adjusted, but I think that Kevin Keats is making adjustments. Um, it's just not you know, he has to work with the team that he made. So you know this that's that's the situation he's in. Coaching the players that he has, this is his best job of coaching this year. He's been way more open to changing things, uh, making adjustments, trying different lineups and things like that. Uh, you know, I've, I've learned a lot from him the last couple of weeks. I've learned that we're a, we're a much better team if we have Diara playing the four. Uh, uh, and DJ Horn is an elite scorer. And Ben Middlebrooks is just that blue-collar guy that just gets in there and just plays his butt off every game. Uh, and I think when, when Middlebrooks and Burns split the time, I think that helps too. Uh you got to have Burns in there because he's such a facilitator as far as passing the ball. He can also score, but if he gets if he gets doubled, he's going to find an open guy. Uh, I think Keats has finally figured out the rotation a little bit. We've kind of settled down to like an eight-man rotation right now, and I think that's 
kind of where it's at. Sometimes he'll play a few more people, but, um, you know, so I think honestly playing, the, you know, coaching the guys that he has, it's his best job, but the, you know, when it, the bottom line is it's, it's his responsibility to have the guys that he needs, you know, to win basketball games. And I think that's the, uh, I think that's the issue. Yeah, it's pretty much exactly that. I mean, I completely agree with, with everything that both of you said. It's, it is it is his best coaching job, in my opinion. Um, I don't even know that it's necessarily close. This has been the most diverse offense I've seen under Kevin Keats. Um, he doesn't get credit for the adjustments because people made up their mind years ago about this stuff, but this is a completely different offense than it was a year ago, and, and even more so than the years before that, right? This is a, a inside-out offense for most of the game. They've basically thrown away the spread pick and roll when Burns is in the game because they basically can't operate it. I don't know why that doesn't count as an adjustment. That's a pretty significant adjustment, and I would argue that it's worked pretty darn well. If you guys remember early on in the in the conference season, this whole show was about why we couldn't score the ball. Uh, DJ Horn was 3 of 22 from mid-range shots against drop coverage in the first two. I think I said that like nine times. Like, I think I literally said it like nine times. But we don't have those conversations anymore because we Keats pulled this offense out of the bottom of the ocean, and it's scoring a lot of points now. And he's done that through a lot of adjustments and a lot of set work. This team runs a ton of different sets. Uh, I think it's important to understand that a set does not equal a screen off ball that immediately leads to a jump shot. That's not what a set is. I think a lot of people think that's the only thing a set is. It's some sort of motion, like motion offense, like Virginia runs, right? Ram pick and roll is a set, right? Staggered DHO is a set, right? Or it's at least an action. And they have so much variety to how they're creating leverage for DJ Horn. And I think Keats kind of realized he has to do that with this team, right? He can't be as, as vanilla and keep the wrinkles in his pocket as long because the, the players aren't really there. It's very plainly a mediocre roster and not a roster built right to be a complete team. We just talked about how having Burns on the floor is critical on one end and a, a huge disaster on the other. Um, you know, I, I think that is really important to understand is that there's a lot going on here. Coach. Just the other night when they were playing Pittsburgh, I don't remember the name of the Pittsburgh point guard, but he had something like eight points in the first like five minutes of the game. They were all on mid-range jump shots and floaters attacking drop coverage and within five minutes Keats pulled the big to the level of the screen and I don't think he scored the rest of the first half like these things happen these things are being done and they're not getting noticed and I really just get tired of like hearing about how he doesn't make adjustments when he's doing these things I think it comes from this idea that the coach has like all control over what his team does on the court and that really begins with recruiting and we just talked about that's where he hasn't succeeded you don't have the players you don't have the players and that's your fault as the coach but like there's nothing that you can do sometimes to completely fix the issues that this team has which by the way this team is in the bottom one percentile nationally a percentage of shots taken at the rim and that's because it doesn't have any guards that can create rim pressure and so people say they want to see adjustments for that like what 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 is that well that's playing through dj burns he gets shots at the rim he initiates offense. The best ball movement we had all year is DJ Burns. He doesn't get credit for half the assists he creates because the ball moves a second time. Right? But none of these things are like, I, I don't know, it just gets on my nerves sometimes with this stuff because I think Keats has done a really good job this year with a very limited roster. Um, and, they, you know, they've been in every game, you know, more or less, you know, as a result of that. And the roster is just what it is right now. I mean, Horn is, you, you look at it, Horn is, is doing everything he, he can physically do. Everybody's doing more than they should have to do on this team. Burns is being asked to do a lot more than he should, right? Diara is not a scorer right now as much as I would love for him to be. Uh, he He's taking more shots than he should. Uh, the, the end of shot clock bailout play call for State was a Casey Morsell isolation. And it actually worked a decent amount. But, like, that should not be your play call. But that's not a coaching failure in-game. That's because it has to be that. So I wrote about this, too, is this is all cascading down from the lack of a true point guard. If you had a Robert Dillingham here, if you had a real, true pick-and-roll point guard who can score, everybody's job changes at that point. Right? DJ Horn becomes uh, a two-guard 
more of a 3 and D player who can attack closeouts and hit floaters, right? He's going to get a lot more open shots, a lot less contested jump shots. His shooting percentage is awesome. Probably even goes up. Casey Marcel becomes a pure 3 and D guy. He has no role operating the basketball. But that's a plus for him. Right, DJ Burns goes from someone that has to play 30 minutes a game, 25 minutes a game to initiate offense to someone who can sit a little bit more because you're comfortable initiating offense with him not in the game because you can run a true pick and roll and feel good about that. Not really able to do that right now unless Ben Middlebrooks is having a heater, which he has had. Uh, it's just not a very functional set for them. So everything is really cascaded down from a failure to staff the team correctly, which is a recruiting and scouting failure more than anything else. And that, at the end of the day, is a theme that has led us to a year seven where no one really cares about the men's basketball team anymore because they've been mediocre for so long. And whether whatever your opinion is of Kevin Keats, we're at the end now. I think we all probably know that, barring some freak event in the transfer portal this coming year. Uh, he's not making it past year eight. Chance he doesn't even make it past year seven. And that's what's, that's what's cooked him. That's what's got us here. I think that the frustration that fans have is they probably can't even express it themselves what they're what they're trying to convey and I, I try to read between the lines on a lot of these frustration tweets and message board posts because football is very easy to to, to look at this play started and this play ended you can tell what the offense is doing one play to the next and then you can tell what a general strategy is the flow of a basketball game up and down, if you get caught just staring at the ball, which the general fans are doing, it's you don't get the real sense of, of what is happening. If you're not watching all the other four guys as they're moving collectively, you know, as a set like talking about. So you have to like really go back and watch the plays and, and kind of be a little more analytical like you've been doing in a, a lot of your great piece. Pieces, you know, uh, go check out trainerronstime, trainerronstimes.com. You should do that. Say it quickly. Yeah. yeah. Shameless. What a great website. <laughs> website. Uh, you know, and and really dive into the weeds because there there is action happening. Detailed coaching and plays are being drawn up, but it's more a feeling that that you watch when it looks like there's general organization when you watch a high-level team and then it looks like there's general disorganization when you watch NC State so like you just get a sense that they aren't all on the same page and some people are forcing things more than others whether they are or not it's really the idea that it doesn't really seem like they know exactly what they're supposed to be doing from one game to the next and that's frustrating to see at this point in the tenure. You would hope that they would have a little bit more cohesion because people are looking at what Hubie is doing down the road and not saying that, okay, they need to be a top five team like he's got UNC, but it's more, you watch them play and those guys are all locked in. They know exactly what their roles are and yeah, they've recruited at an elite level. So it's not saying it needs to be like that. It just needs to be it along those lines where you can have organized, understood, roles but you have to recruit to that you have to put everybody in a in a position to succeed so you you haven't done step one of getting the right roles and role players and having everybody define what what they need to do so then when a fan is sitting in the stands or watching on tv you get frustrated because it looks like the flow isn't going right and it's and it's really hard to describe even as you're watching it if you don't really innately understand how basketball offense works then you know this is not what that is because you're you're watching different games yeah that's 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 really well said and i think it's a it is a good point you know i think some of it may have to do with lack of roster uh, continuity um but it isn't a team that i've this year in particular i felt has necessarily executed extremely well at an extremely high level I think there's a lot of if you watch when when Horn is is the is the ball dominant guard in the pick and roll, he he often has his head down uh, when he's coming, making the uh, the corner to get downhill right. He often has his head down. He's he's a guard who's wired to score, and you know there's been some some skip passes and some pocket passes to Middlebrooks that have been missed that I think were like 
pretty pretty easy opportunities. And I think when you can get those kinds of plays to click, that's what kind of starts to look like it's flowing more and it's, it's less forced like you're talking about. I honestly think it goes back to to a, to a lack of a you know a true point guard because I think when we had Markel Johnson right, I think he, he thought that it flowed a little bit better because he would make the correct pass and you know if the read was to go score he could do that, but now you're trying to run this stuff with a guy who can only really do one thing, and he's going to do that thing, uh, and so he's going to take a contested floater before he's going to make a pocket pass to Middlebrooks most of the time because that's just what he's wired to do. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's not a team that has executed Super Bowl, though. I think the play to win the game last night was a great example. That was a it, there's a difference between coaching a coaching a team to execute versus giving them play, right? It's not the same thing, right? The set drop was great, but the execution of it was terrible, right? It, it was it was it was a, a elevator to the shallow wing that would roll into a post up for Burns if Syracuse was able to switch on the screen and close out the shooter. And the pass was late. The screen wasn't great. Then Diara was supposed to exit or go rebound, depending on which of those actions it rolled into. And he didn't know what he was supposed to do because Horn caught the ball and hesitated because he wasn't supposed to be being guarded by his initial man. I think they were expecting a switch. Uh, it really just went sideways. It was really a very poorly executed play. And it's they're two very different coaching elements for sure. And I definitely think one of them is has shown up as a problem more than the other. He did get fouled, though, on that shot. Legitimately. I thought he got fouled, too. Yeah. He got legitimately I was, hacked. <laughs> yeah, I thought he got fouled, too. When you're, when you're as a casual fan, when they're watching the game, they're, you know, they, we steal the ball, and they're like, oh, it's a fast break, and they don't, they don't think about it. You know, like, when you have a fast break, you got, you got guys you're supposed to fill lanes and stuff like that, so you get spacing on the floor. Uh, to make that work, I mean that's just that's just stuff that they do, and that and that stuff they they do that stuff, and then they have, and then the offensive end there's the screening, and then on defense there's there's you know help defense responsibilities and stuff like that. There's there's a lot of stuff that goes into this, you know, and just like you said, aside most people get stuck watching the basketball, and they don't see what else is going on there. So there's just a lot more things going on than that, and you know, and but it's just yeah, I mean execution has not been great. I mean, it, it really hasn't been great, and, and, and I don't it, know if that's I don't know if that's from lack of a point guard. I don't know if it's I I don't know what what the reason for that is, but it just hasn't been great. And as frustrating as the offense was to watch, it was really the defense that got them into trouble in last night's game because you know they really picked it up offensively and put themselves in position. I mean, they they were tied and up two with what under two minutes left and. You know, still, the game was of two halves because you got killed from beyond the arc in the first half, and then you got killed in the lane in the second half. So you got better at running them off of the three-point line, which you should have been doing right from the jump, but okay. You let them get hot. <laughs> like Really, like, one guy get hot, super hot, uh, right from the beginning. But then they didn't hit, hit. I think they had one three after halftime, but they were Something getting like whatever that. they wanted in the lane in the second half. So that was really frustrating. It was reverse layups, straight-up layups, dunks, whatever they wanted, floaters. It was all close two-point shots that weren't well contested and or somebody was late on a rotation or, you know, DJ Burns was out of position. It was just one thing after the other. And if you had just limited five fewer of those shots, you, you would have maybe put yourself in position to, to win before the end of the game. So I've asked this before. Oh, go ahead, Alex. Sorry. I think that speaks directly to to what we you know what we were just talking about, right? You you get Burns in the game as a drop defender, and you you have to help off the shooters because he has no chance. You help off the shooters, the guy's wide open. You stop helping off the shooters, he's going to get eaten alive in the lane. It's like it's it's like that's just who he is as a player, right? He's a he's a plus on offense and a minus on defense, and I I don't know that there's a whole lot you can do to to, to fix that. Everyone's everyone was was clamoring for them to. To, to stop helping off the shooters. I actually thought helping off the shooters was a good initial game plan for this game. Chris Bell is not an elite three-point shooter. I think he said he was shooting 29% in, in road games. If he goes four for eight instead of eight for eight, you win the game. I think that's a bet you're willing to place, and a lot of playing defense in basketball is placing those bets, and it didn't work, and they got they made it look real embarrassing. Yeah. Um, I don't think it was 
quite as bad as it necessarily looked. Um, but definitely, like, there was some poor execution. Like, some of the... You could see, like, they, they had they had a plan to help and then close out fast because they weren't worried about, about Bell off the dribble at all. And, you know, you saw Jaden Taylor, you know, give him a hard closeout a couple times where he, like, went flying out of bounds because he was coming so fast at him. Uh, but, but, yeah, I mean... You're kind of you're kind of hamstrung with with Burns in the in the game on defense. So that leads to to a question that I've I've asked before, but I'm going to ask it again because you know it's where do we go from here? I mean, we have to win the the ACC tournament basically to to make it. Like I said earlier, to make the NCAA's. But but where where does this team go from here? I mean, it's unless. You know, I don't see, I don't see us winning the ACC tournament. I mean, stranger things have happened, but just with the the limitations that we have and and the way that people kind of have us have us figured out that way, I don't see that happening. Uh, I don't know. I mean, do we? Does you know? Do we? Do we make the NIT? Does Keats survive this year? I mean, I don't know. These are questions that I don't have an answer for. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I don't see how you can keep him on. I mean, he, he's unlikely to, to crack 20 games this season, and it, it's it, there's no real positive outlook. It, it really seemed like with the transfer recruiting class that he had coming in, like all the pieces were in line to really compete for a top-four finish in the league, and that, that really has slipped as the weeks progress. So I, I, we can talk about his future later, but I, I don't see how you can justify keeping him on for another year, but just in terms of what's left this for the rest of the season, I mean, they're still both Carolina and Duke back-to-back games uh, coming up uh, week after next. So definitely uh, I'm just going to skip town and pretend that for, the, for those two days and... Go Canes! <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, you know... <laughs> we shouldn't be in a position where you're in the last two to three weeks of the season and then worrying about Boston college coming to town in the, in the next game, you know? So it's like, um, in Florida state, uh, you know, with their rough start, they've, they've picked things up in the last few weeks and they've snuck up, you know, that now they're tied with state in the conference standings, you know, just they're right in there with that log jam in the league. So, um, you know the the chance for the double buy is is gone now. Uh, and, you know, really, they really needed to mm-hmm. do their best to win out as much as they could um, outside of those uh, Carolina and Duke games. So it's it's going to be really tough. They're probably going to you know struggle to get a, a top eight seed in the conference tournament at this point. Yeah, they're they're, they're not going to make the NCAA tournament. I I don't I think that's kind of a foregone conclusion at this point. Um. The thing with me looking ahead, like I'm not, I'm not a, a big Keats hater. I, I do, I do like him as a coach. I don't love him as a coach, but he does enough things well that I find him compelling. Um, but where we're at right now, if if you could bring back DJ Horn, which you can't, he's out of eligibility. If you could bring him back, and obviously you have Diara and Middlebrooks as a front line that I particularly do like. I think you might have something there that's worth seeing where things were to go because you can swing on a big fish in the portal and if you land a legit point guard and you can play horn at the two and, and have that as your backcourt and have another year of Diara and Middlebrooks, I think you might actually really have something there. But because Horn is gone and Marcel is gone and O'Connell is gone and Burns is gone, you're starting from scratch again. And I just don't I mean, if we're going to start over roster-wise, and, and we are, you know, I, I don't, I don't see what reason we have to not explore our options for doing that. Because the one flaw, the biggest flaw with Keats, like we just talked about, is he hasn't been able to put together a roster. Uh, you know, his best performance with that really was the Dark Hill Joiner season. That was a big, a big land for sure, and he got a lot out of Joiner more than any other, more than Ole Miss ever had. But he has to go get those quality guys again all of them and we saw him try and do it this year after smith and joiner left and you know horn's been really good taylor's done some things well he's been kind of a mess offensively but it has definitely not been at the same level yeah and you know you're you're 
you're taking a shot. If you keep him, you're taking the same shot there, and I don't like the odds. Before we before we move on to our next topic, this this I know there's no such thing as a dumb question, but this this might be a dumb question because he's he's playing in the NBA right now. But if Turquavion Smith for some reason had come back this year, how much of a difference would that have made? Does DJ, the Jeopardy Horn, does DJ Horn come at all? If Turquavion yeah, is still the there. Thing. I think it makes a, a difference for sure because um, Smith was a little bit more of a three-level scorer than anybody they have now. He wasn't a true point guard. I think Smith was more of a two-guard that you could run a lot of offense through, um, but I never really saw him as a guy that distributed the ball, that saw the floor really well. He's wired to score, so I don't think he's like the perfect fit, but he was obviously an incredibly high-level scorer. Um you know, he could definitely get to the basket. His strength was, was shooting, but he had so much gravity that he spaced the floor well. And, you know, he could always attack because you were never going to be able to play him soft. Uh, and so that's a guy that I think if you were able to run offense through him, I think the team would be better, yeah. Uh, because he can attack drop coverage a lot better than, than Horn has been able to do for a whole year. Horn's done a much better job lately. But do they become suddenly a team that, you know, is at the top of the ACC. I, I don't really know. Probably not. Maybe it makes a big difference. I mean, it depends on how well he plays. You know, he's was really good his freshman year in the first half of his sophomore year. He struggled a little bit back half of his sophomore year. Uh, you'd be asking him to do a lot. So I don't really know the answer. It's a tough question. I think it could make about a three or four game difference as far as wins and losses. I mean, if the way he played last year, the way he played at the end of the year, I think it could make that big of a difference because not only does he be, not only is he able to score and create, it's gonna it's gonna draw defense and it's gonna leave other guys open more too. So it it would it would kind of open things up a little bit. So I think it would make a difference. I don't know if it would make that much of a difference as far as like, I don't think that would like we would just rock it up to the top of the ACC or anything. But I think it would make a difference. His his biggest asset was Jarrell Joiner, and that that is gets lost in the sauce when you look at Turquavion highlights is being able to have somebody else that can take pressure on offense and be mature enough and be seasoned enough to know when to take his foot off the gas and understand, you know, where the moment is in the game and then be able to make a decision on what to do instead of Turquavion just going, you know, all out balls to the wall, right, right to the hoop every time, and he would score at, at an extremely high level. But but Jarkel knew when to wave in and out of the game, and the two of them playing off of each other worked really well together. So, you know, if I had to That's pick, true. I would rather have Jarkel back than than have Turkwayvon, even though you know, even though Turk's in the league right now. Yeah. Well, obviously, we'll have uh, more men's basketball conversation to come uh, going forward. But I know that we actually had Trinity Road Times on location here this past <laughs> weekend because Assad had uh, the opportunity to go to the NC State women's game against Georgia Tech. And you picked a good game to go to, my friend. <laughs> Not, I, I thought it was going to be a great game in the opposite way. I, you know, I was telling my family, I said, you know, maybe during the fourth quarter, I don't know what's going to happen. If you guys, I didn't want to, you know, jam them up. If they were up by 20 in the fourth quarter, if you guys want to leave early, fine, I'll, I'll leave with you. But uh, I thought I was going to lose all my hair during that game. It was really, like, embarrassing because, like, you know, I, I took my dad and I took some of my nieces. And, I, you know, we had, a whole, we had a whole crew at this at this game. And, like, I'm just, I didn't, I you know, I wanted to like be there and have them understand the environment and have like nice conversations with my family and like point things out and the, show them the, you know, my kids haven't been to a game in a long time. So have them like, will understand the fight song and, you know, you know, all the different things, the traditions that happened during an NC State basketball game. And I didn't, I didn't get a chance to do any of that. Cause I, I'd like, I was just sitting there like with my head in my hands, like the whole, the whole game. Like every time Georgia tech went up, and then State would come back and they would tie it. I turned to my wife and I'd be like, "All right, State's going to go on a run here, guaranteed. They tied it up here. They're going to go on a ten nothing run, and they're going to they're going to put this game away." And then Georgia Tech would come back, and it was really just those two players that 
just came out of nowhere and they just couldn't stop them. And it was the most disorganized that I've seen the women's team play in, in a long time, just passes that were going to nowhere. And, um, but you could tell it was really evident, um, you know, seeing them up close because, uh, you know, I wanted to make sure I, I got lower level seats because I wanted to get a real impression of how the, how they, how, how their body language changes throughout the game. And you could tell as each quarter progressed and especially in overtime, they just, they seemed more tense and the expressions on their faces were like, okay, enough of this nonsense. We're going to put this team away. And it's the kind of thing that you can tell is happening when you're watching from the angle of the TV camera. But to be, I was like at eye level with them uh, sitting in the stands and you could tell the way they were interacting with one another. And they, once they got to overtime, they were locked in and like they were not, not going to lose that game. And then they still, still came down to the end, but it was one of those things where uh, it was, you know, a lot of fun to see. I mean, in the end, uh, my my family did have a, a great time, and you know we went to Howling Cow ice cream afterwards, and really uh, enjoyed that. Got my kids milkshakes, and my daughter, who's gotten like really into basketball in the last year, was saying like I you know I, I know you want you wanted them to, to really kill them, but she she's like I really liked that it was a close game because she was like like this like you know she's like living and dying with every basket, and it was just it's funny you know, raising two NC State fans in New Jersey because uh, not really many people up here know what NC State is. And so, but they, they do their best to rep <laughs> the Wolfpack as much as they can. And, I, and uh, so I got them, you know, new shirts and sweatshirts and uh, they went to school the next day wearing their new, new state sweatshirts and, <laughs> and stuff. So it was, it was a lot of fun. U- ultimately, it had a happy ending, uh, but it was, yeah. <laughs> it was a little bit challenging to get there. So, so walk us through that that moment that I'm. You know what I'm about to talk about when when it looks like the game is is states put Georgia Tech away and then they they get that prayer three. Oh my god! Well, uh, you you texted us and you said something along the lines of the the whole place was flabbergasted or, or something. Yeah, because Sanaya hits that and one right at the end, and it's, I think there was about like four point two seconds left, and then she hit the the. Maybe it was like ten seconds. I don't. I don't. I think it was under ten. I believe it was. It was around four or five seconds left. And um, so they came down, and Georgia Tech was shooting on the side that I was sitting. And I was like, "Oh, okay." Desperation heave for a three here. Okay. The, okay. The game's over. I'm already starting to pick up my water bottle, and I'm like, "Okay." I'm already planning to to start getting up and and leave. And as I played great defense, and, and I could tell she. She didn't allow herself to get beat on the step back and went in and played really technically sound in terms of closing the gap, got her hands straight up so she didn't, she didn't commit the foul, contested the shot, and the girl just hit an amazing three. And, like, what are you going to do? The whole stand, everybody in the stands were all surrender cobras and just like, are you kidding me? Like, the, the whole, the air in the whole building just completely evaporated in that moment because um, it, it was loud. Like, like both when Sanaya hit that shot and everyone was like, okay, that's it. Okay, game's over now. We're up by three. Or even when she hit the and one before the free throw. Place was rocking and everybody said, okay, it's, it's definitely, this is it. And like all that energy just like completely went out the window. And it came back in overtime, which was good. Um, and, I, and I think the volume of the crowd helped to put some pressure on them. I, I would like to think in, in that last possession, but... Man, that was just like I was like had my hands on my knees, like oh my god, I cannot believe what I just saw. <laughs> and then it happened again in overtime mm-hmm. when, like, right near the end of the shot clock, the ball is like rolling to the logo, and she just turns and does like a, a catapult like heave and throws it <laughs> off the backboard and in everyone. <laughs> they didn't score again after left that. Handed. <laughs> yeah. Left-handed. It's yeah. My impressions of that game though. Uh, Georgia Tech is a really well-coached team. They're a lot better than they were at the first of the year, and I wouldn't want to play them in the tournament. Uh, if you watch them off the ball, their offense, they really ran a really good offense. They had ball movement. They set screens. 
I mean, it was it was very difficult to, to keep up those the two that were scoring all those points. And I mean, they played really really well. Uh, again, you know, state. We got Mimi Collins back. I don't know if she was 100%, but she looked okay. You know, uh, Isaiah James is just incredible. I mean, with the, with the things that she can do with the basketball and the, and the way she can score. But I think, you know, I think Georgia Tech is going to give some people some fits. I really do. I think they were well coached. I think they played very well. They had a really good game plan, too. Yeah, my, that was one my of the best. Go ahead. I was going to say that was one of the best one of the best basketball games I've ever seen, just straight up. That was mm-hmm. insane to watch. No one's going to care that State beat Georgia Tech, who I think was like 6-8 and eight in the league, but that was an incredible win because that team was on a generational heater. Yeah. Some of the shots they made in that game were like, <laughs> it was like if you were playing 2K and like you had cheated in the game new and it was like reversing the rules on you. All like, the sliders not, to the right. <laughs> not supposed to happen. Yeah, it was like, it was like they had... Like the five Caitlin Clarks out there is what it, is what it was like. Leave State won that game. I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I was I was like so ready to just be like I don't even know like what can you say like they made everything like they mm-hmm. didn't miss a shot like you I mean, just got to tip your hat. They could have blindfolded those the, the start of the game. They could have wore blindfold and they still made those shots. I mean it was ridiculous. just it was ridiculous. Yeah. I mean that's that's what comes with the territory if you're a known commodity the way the the women state women's team is at this point though everyone's gonna come. In and try to take their best shot at you. Like at this point in the season, Georgia Tech's not really playing for anything, so they're circling NC State on the on the schedule to say this is one of our big opportunities to make a splash. And it was kind of cool um, because you know my you know my daughter that um, has gotten into the game, she's playing travel basketball now, so she has like a really like understanding a little bit more strategically about what's happening. And she was sitting behind like a few rows back from the Georgia Tech bench. So she, she's listening in on what the coach is saying. And you know, the, co- the Georgia Tech coach is like in the coach's, in the player's face, you know, be more aggressive, you know, set screens. It's like she understands what, what's happening now. And so that, that, was, that was really like illuminating. And I, I, I do think that they really discombobulated State on defense because you could tell that um, – State was like a step slow, rotating around all those screens. Like they, they were definitely putting State out of position and creating shot opportunities for themselves. Um, and they were doing a better job on the glass early on. And you know, it's just one of those things where, in the end, State just had more talent and they were able to to rely on that to win the game. But little things like Madison Hayes going, I think she was like over from three. Like you know, little things that were. Just even one of, one of those shots that she had, but the, the, her the, set, the quality of the shot she was getting wasn't a, as good as what she's gotten in the past, and you know I'm still not sure the dynamic of, of what's happening as Isaiah James has risen up as like the offensive star of the team and where that leaves Sanaya Rivers. Like Sanaya is still like the clutch player that they really try to put the ball in the hands that, at the end of the game, and that that continues to happen, but. They're, they're not quite playing off of each other as well as they were early on in the season. So I'm not sure if Sanaya knows exactly what, like where her position is offensively throughout the flow of the game. But, um, yeah, you, you definitely have to, to, to tip your cat to, to Georgia Tech. That was the, um, the maybe the first time in my entire life that I watched State win a game and legitimately felt kind of bad for the other team because yeah. I felt like they deserved to have one in the win column for that. That was even even though that last the last shot they made in overtime that was the backwards catapult upside down fifty footer from half court. That, that was pure luck, obviously. But I was like, I mean, they were they were heartbroken over that, and I was like, I was like, maybe they can get like half, like make them like six and a half and nine. Yeah, <laughs> but it yeah, is incredible. I, State was able to win a game like that. That says a lot. It about is. It. it is. Yeah, it does. It really does. And I think it's interesting because that's an important win too. Because this the the seeding, the initial uh, top sixteen seeding came out, and we were a two. I bet we fall to the three if we lose that game. So that's a that's a really important win, um, and. I know we've talked about kind of the trajectory of this team, how they went from being picked to middle of the pack in the ACC uh, and not being ranked, and now they're playing for a one, a chance at a one seed. 
Um, they still got to play Duke, I believe, again. They still got to play UNC, I believe, again on the road. Uh, so those are going to be some tough ones. But I think I think they've got uh, um, a, a, a good little situation they're in there. Yeah, it's back-to-back on the road, Carolina, and then Duke, and then Syracuse, which is above them in the standings. Um, and Syracuse is, is, has moved up to 17th in the rankings now. Man, both the men and the women get Duke and UNC back-to-back. Whose idea was that? <laughs> oh, man. Whose idea play, was that? I don't know. They play UNC tomorrow night, I think. and then Thursday, maybe, yeah. Maybe Sunday, yeah, it's Sunday. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, it's, 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 it is a tough schedule, and Syracuse is really good. So I'm, I'm, I'm more worried about the Syracuse game than I am the other two, honestly. I really am. Yeah, I, 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 hopefully we go into the small gym in Chapel Hill and uh, and pull off a win there. So oh, hopefully, in, in, yeah. in front of sixty five hundred people. Yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. If the ACC really wanted to reprimand Courtney Banghart, they should have fined her sixty five hundred dollars. Yeah, that would have been that would have been appropriate. <laughs> but anyway, uh, some other news around NC State. Um, Boo Corrigan got a contract extension, um, and we know that he's made a couple of hires already. He hasn't made a quote-unquote major sport hire, but every sport is a major sport in my eyes. So um, he's made a couple of he's made a couple of, of hires already. Um, thankfully, he hasn't had to worry about football uh, and won't have to worry about football probably for the foreseeable future. But uh, we are all under the assumption that in the not-too-distant future, he's going to have to make a big decision here. Let's talk first about his contract extension and then about what he's done so far and what we kind of hope he, he does here in the future. He... Oh, I love him. Go on. I don't know. Yeah, I, that was like a weird moment there. I, I'm, I'm a fan, really. I think he's... I think he's done a really good job as the athletic director. I, I don't know, I don't know anything about finances, and athletic programs, so I'm not going to talk out of my you know for that. But I do know there was like something really nice that happened out of the pandemic where the school was in like no athletic debt or whatever that was. I don't know, I don't do finance, but on the athletics side of things, I think everything that he's done to this point that actually matters uh, has been pretty good. Um, you know, he he hired Slabe. At, at the volleyball program, a volleyball program that hasn't really been very good. And they are very objectively on the come up. They should have made the NCAA tournament this year. I think they got hosed out of a spot personally, but uh, they return almost every single player from a team that I think is fifth in the ACC, or they're sixth in the ACC this year, uh, which is a great volleyball conference now um, with Pitt and Louisville and, and all those teams in it. Uh, so that to me was, was, a, was a positive. And then the... the um, Men's soccer coach that he hired has an incredible resume of program building. Uh, that, to me, if you if you look at that, is, is you know I don't know anything about soccer really. It's not really my sport, but you know just from a resume perspective, that seems like a slam dunk. Uh, here's a guy that took New Hampshire to I think it was five consecutive regular season titles and three conference titles uh, in their in their conference after they hadn't won a single one ever. Uh, so there's a lot there, and then you know I think the, the softball team he hired um, I can't remember her name, but uh, you know she, there's they've won what seven straight games right now. Mm. I mean every hire that he's made is hitting right now, and the only thing I ask of my ads is to make good hires, to raise money well, and to not do crimes. And so, <laughs> so far he's hitting on all of those. I understand people are really upset about. 2021 bowl game and people are really upset about the college world series both of those were quite horrible events and the communication maybe could have been better particularly around the college world series but it's not clear to me what people actually wanted him to do other than like drive to the ncaa headquarters and break somebody's nose <laughs> exactly like, i i think a lot of the angst with this well, well hold on wouldn't that be committing a crime though yeah, well, I don't want him to do that. <laughs> I think a lot of the angst just comes from moving on from Debbie Yao, who's a very public persona, and you know who would tweet stuff like "UNC is trash." She didn't actually tweet that, but you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> Oregon is 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 not that guy, and like that was fun. I love Debbie Yao, and I think she did a great job, and I love 
her communication, it was fantastic. But it's not like a must-have with the job. And I have total confidence that he can hire a good coach, you know, if, if the men's basketball stone turns this year. Because so far, I mean, with the information that we have from the hires he's made, there's none that, I, that I'm particularly questioning as, as bad decisions. So oh, I think I think it's all there with him, and I, I like the work he's doing. Yeah, yeah and I think with what he's done. Yeah, part of I think the reason why it's a polarizing hire in a way, or hire extension in a way, is because of what you mentioned the the College World Series and, and all that. But also what, what happened this past fall, uh, still rubbing some people the wrong way in our fan base for some reason uh, that he didn't stand up for the conference. But we don't know that. I mean, for all we know, he voted for him and other people didn't, and we, right. we won't know. We'll never know. But uh, I think that's. Part of the reason why why it's polarizing in a sense, but I, I agree with you. I think I think he's done he's done a lot of good things, and he may have a very very big decision to make here, and he's got to get it right if if he has to make that decision because it's yeah yeah he, that's a big one that's one that yeah, people this yeah, it needs to be done right and yeah. I I think yeah, people he's... would get frustrated along the same lines as we were talking about with the basketball team is just seeing more, seeing more plan of action, seeing more under, more understanding, just the feeling of what's happening more than anything. And the feeling that people want to get with their AD is, you know, in when situations arise, people want Putin and they want Holleran. And that's what Debbie Yao gave them. And people love Debbie Yao for it. But you look at the FSU AD, and there was a lot of hooting and hollering after they were left out, and people rallied behind that. They really said, you know, you could tell, you know, that, that they felt like the AD was out front, publicly defending their school. So when things happen, it's great that you know he he is doing all of the things right in terms of modernizing the athletic department in the new era that that they're in, where putting coaches in position, especially football, monetarily and uh, everything else infrastructure-wise to allow them to be successful, you know, with NIL and the, working with the collectives and, the, you know, working around the, the transfers or whatever is happening behind the scenes to help facilitate all that. All of that is going well, but when he's not also, you know, posting tweets or going on a media binge from one network to the next, you know, or, or mm-hmm. you know, doing different things. You know, people after the College World Series would have wanted him to just go in front of any camera that he could get in front of and talk about what a Travis Shamakari this is. And, you know, the NCAA will rue, rue the day but when the, when they let this happen because people want fire and brimstone and those types of moments because that's what they're feeling. But... He's not that kind of guy, and he's never going to be that yeah. kind of guy. You know, if ultimately, you know, they can put NC State in position to compete for an ACC title for mm-hmm. the football team, then people will be happy, and maybe he will get credit, and maybe he won't. But if he is just a behind-the-scenes guy, but he did everything he could to put Dave Doran in a position to win a conference title, will he get the credit? Probably not, but, you know, the people that understand what he did to put mm-hmm. them there will know. Yeah. And think about a little bit of, you know, Alec would know what year did Debbie Yao retire or what year did she I step away? That. What was that? 2019, I think. 2018. 2019. I think. Yeah. Well, think, think about what's happened since 2019, right? We've got three ACC championships in, in women's basketball. We have three national championships in, in track and for cross country. We have we should have won the College World Series in 2021. Uh, all of that has technically happened under Boo Corrigan. So it's it, the athletic department is on is on really. And Alex shrugging a little bit. And I understand the sentiment and why you're shrugging there because Debbie Yao helped build that, and she deserves a lot of the credit too. But yeah. um, you know, he took over an athletic department that was already on pretty solid footing, and he's made it. A, a lot better. So you got to give Debbie Yao a lot of credit, I think, also. But Boo has helped move it into the the, the even further along. Yeah, I also just can't sit still for very long, so I just. <laughs> I, but yeah, I mean, Boo hasn't had to do a lot, but the little, the small sample size of things he has done, he has done well. But 
I just I really liked Assad's explanation of of the why people were were so heated about that, even though it doesn't really have a lot of material value, is because that's how they're feeling. And I totally I totally get that. I, I'm just trying to rationalize it, but that absolutely makes sense. I think that's like a really good. Really good uh, yeah. explanation. Yeah. Of you, you can remember, kind of remember the, the first year where the net was really big in the tournament, and state had I think like the number twenty four net, and was left out of the tournament and had to play in the NIT that season. And Debbie Yao was like on fire, just going all over, mm -hmm. and everyone was like, "Yeah, Debbie, get him, get him, get him." Is that going to do anything? Is the committee going to be like, you know what, Debbie, you were right? You're, we're going to reconsider. Here's a 10 seed. You're in the tournament now. No, they're not going to do that. They're but not, people no. loved her for trying because they were they they picked apart NC State's strength of record, which was last in all of Division One. But you know the the case yeah. was made. Like that's how the net was taken into account. So it's your metric, and you have us in the top 25, and yet we're not in the tournament. So. Well, and I think part of the reason why a lot of people were so there was a lot of animosity about the College World Series situation is because let's be honest, we were going to win that thing. Yeah, I think they, we were too. Yeah, I think we were going to win too. that thing. So I was getting ready to say the same thing, Trey. I think the the biggest, I think the reason right. that people were so upset about that is because we finally got to where we wanted to be, and I really think we would have won that, and then. Mm. Boom, and there was and Boo. What 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 could he do? I mean, he's he doesn't have the personality to be like a Debbie Al and be right. you know vocal about right. stuff. That's just not who he is. So, and even if he had done that, it wouldn't have changed anything. You know, maybe maybe people would have felt better because they're like, well, he stood up. I don't know, but that's you know, I mean, so yeah, I I, I was getting ready to say the same thing. Trish. Yeah, and that's not I, criticism of Blue Oregon at all. That's just no, me. No, it's not. Yeah. yeah, no, I mean, it's like it's 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 not. I I love the way Debbie Al was i mean i think that's very nc state is is to take that approach you know but like it's nothing wrong with that i love it there's nothing wrong with how either one of them operates in, in my opinion they just operate very differently and you know i i if Boo corrigan had gone up in front of a camera and, and gotten really pissed off about something i probably would i would have loved it too but like it's so like you said it it doesn't have any material value it doesn't have any extrinsic value to anything it's just it does make people feel good and like that's fine but like mm -hmm. it's not it's not that important i just think we should rationalize that it's not yeah, that boo's important. biggest uh resume uh positive when he came in was he was known for fundraising and that's what he's done since he's been here and if you look at the raises that dave Dorn and his staff have gotten year after year to lock those assistants in and make sure that tony gibson isn't going anywhere we mm -hmm. won't. We'll never know whether Debbie Al would yep. have been able to do that, but I, but I doubt it. Yeah, that graphic that they posted earlier this week about the football staff having 100% staff retention—you're not going to find very many college football staffs with 100% staff retention. Yeah, no. I can't believe we, all the position coaches we have are still here. They're all so good. I mean, we lost the recruiting guy to Bama, but other than that, like We've gone through a couple of personnel directors or personnel, whatever it's called, but. Uh, yeah, I mean, that's, that's, I mean, we, we always have the money to extend Tony Gibson. And, like, we have this, this staff has been excellent. And you'd think these guys would be external interest, and hopefully they don't, but they're all still here. Yeah. Well, we go from boo to boo boos with our question of the day this week. Ooh. As, <laughs> yeah, I knew that was coming. Um, <laughs> our question of the day this week, uh, is a painful one because it is what is your dumbest injury oh it's where, really bad when you have like a top five yeah, yeah where <laughs> that's where, not good um, so i had when i was in college i had this summer job and i was doing landscaping and so we had this thing that you had to put like straw bales in that it you know spread it out over where grass was sowed and so I was on the back of the truck that was pulling this thing, and you had to actually cut the strings off the straw bales as you loaded them in. And the truck's bouncing around, so I just sliced—I just sliced down the middle of my thumb with with the knife. Mm. Just literally cut it all. I, mean, went, I went down two inches into my thumb, uh. and it—and I'm still cutting the strings off, and blood's going everywhere. 
And finally a guy sees it and he stops. He's like, okay, we need to take you to the hospital. I think, yeah, probably we need to do that. So that's probably the dumbest thing that ever happened to me. There's a lot of honorable mentions though. So <laughs> that was mine. Uh, yeah, I have, I have many that just like <laughs> happen for no real reason. Just, uh, you know, I, so I actually had like a really decent one. I, you know, uh, two, three years ago, I was actually trying to better myself and exercising and lifting weights and, um, was doing a, a kettlebell swing and was doing it with incorrect form and tore the labrum in my shoulder and ended up needing surgery. And it was like a nine month recovery with rehab. It was really, really mm. but that wasn't the dumbest injury. I'll, so I'll really, uh, you know, again, as is per usual, I'll date myself on this podcast, but, um, you know, used to be back when I was in school in the, in the early two thousands, um, you know, I didn't have a laptop. Laptops were not that common. And so you could, uh, check out laptops from the DHL library if you needed to, to work on stuff. And there was that in uh, right, right around that time you could, they were just installing Wi-Fi for the first time in, in DHL and you could get the laptops that had the Wi-Fi chip built in versus the ones that didn't. You had to request a special card that you could slide into the laptop to turn on Wi-Fi in those laptops. This is, this is really bad. Uh, this is, has nothing to do with my injury, but anyway, you could rent them out for like a certain number of hours, but you had to go back and, and renew your checkout. And I was doing an all nighter in the library and I was, I think I had it until midnight and I needed to go back and renew it. And I was running late and I needed to like run back to the desk. So I was running down the stairwell in DH Hill and doing like two steps at a time, trying to get back so I could renew the freaking laptop checkout. And I was like three steps from the bottom and just like really bad rolled my ankle coming down. And cause I was going too fast than I needed to. And like, like basically fell the last three steps uh, down to the ground. And I, probably had like a stage two sprain and I like I was my like I did the thing where I tied my laces tight like you would in a basketball game just to make it and I, and I hobbled out of there and by the time I got home like my ankle was like it got grapefruit it was like fully swollen it was hurting for like two weeks after that all over this dumb laptop because I was pulling an all-nighter in the library for an assignment that I should have just done like the week prior see that's what you get for studying <laughs> <laughs> Who's ever played the game Stump? <laughs> Anybody familiar with the game Stump? I've uh, heard of it. I don't think I've ever played it though. Stump is is a tailgate game. If you're uh, been to a number of state tailgates and, and you don't know what Stump is, first of all, I'm disappointed in you. Second of all, <laughs> is a game where you have literally a stump and you have nails in the stump, and each player is assigned a nail, and to play the game, you have a hammer, and you throw the hammer in the air, catch it, and hit someone's nail, anybody's nail, in one swing. And who's it? when your nail gets all the way into the wood, you, you're out of the game. Last one standing wins. That's how Stump, stump is played. So you can already see why this is going to go back, right? This is terrible. Yeah. But um, I, I was playing Stump one time, and um, it's pretty common to miss the nail. It's it's not super common to miss the entire stump, but it does happen. But to miss the entire stump and then hit yourself in the shin with the hammer, I think I'm the only person that's ever done that. Mm. Uh, I had a pretty bruised shin mm. for about two weeks, and it was entirely self-inflicted. And the worst part is, the whole thing is on video somewhere. <laughs> it does exist. I don't know. Oh I God. know who has it. He's going to listen to this episode. He has the video. Um, but I'm looking forward to seeing it. We can um, put it on our YouTube channel. I, I mean, we, can. we do have one of those. Yeah, we do have one of those. Um, yeah. And then my, my runner up was uh, I was when I was a kid, I was riding my bike out of the um, driveway and I heard it making kind of a strange noise. So I looked down at like the um, like the chain as it was riding and I went around the corner of the driveway and ran right into the front of a parked car and rolled over the <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't great. 
Yeah. Mm. I mean, I, so, I had so many bike accidents when I was yeah. a kid, like falling, going down like a wet road with like full speed and wiping mm-hmm. out or like looking down like that and seeing the chain actively come off the gears. And I'm like riding down with no, no chain on the gears, like so many different wipeouts, man. Yeah. <laughs> so I have one that's an injury and one that's at, at Carter Finley that I want to share because it's it's related to NC State tailgating. But the, the injury one, first day of sixth grade, all right? I am 10 minutes into sixth grade, and we're in the cafeteria, and we're all getting ready to go to school and, or to our first class, and I find some of my friends, and we're all walking to class, and I'm not paying attention. I'm looking at my friend, and I'm walking, and I'm walking, and I'm walking, boom, right into a pole. Walk straight, face first, into a pole right in front of the whole school on the first 10 minutes of sixth grade. Got off to a good start there in middle school. It was, it was good. Yeah, that, that was great. Yeah. And then the, the, the runner-up one was um, NC State was playing, I want to say it was either App State or Wofford. And it was after the game, State had won. And this is back when PNC, when the when the the lot between Carter Finley's main the main entrance, the jumbotron entrance is what I call it, and PNC was grass. So you had the road, and then it was grass instead of instead of that parking lot. And some of us had the idea to play tackle football after the game and knock the wind out of myself for like twenty minutes. <laughs> But that's that's not really an injury. I just felt like sharing that one because it's funny. But um, those are those are my two probably. I got hit in the throat with a baseball umpiring when I was umpiring high school baseball one time. That was real fun. Yeah, right in because I didn't have a, the only game I never wore a uh, you know a throat protector. I get hit in the throat. <laughs> we had to stop the game for fifteen minutes. I couldn't talk, almost couldn't breathe. Uh, but you know, eventually I got to where I could could continue but it was i never went without a throat protector after that mm. you could see that you could see the actual laces you could see a bruise on my neck where the laces of the ball were the next day yeah that well, yeah, I, I got i got hit in the face with a baseball pop fly just because i i I, I'm, I was never really good at catching pop flies and in little league and i just put the glove up kind of above my in front of my eyes which are not supposed to do and at the last second, moved it, and the ball came smacked me right in the forehead. And I tried to play it off like, like I'm good, I'm good. And then it, the same thing happened to me like 20 years later. I was in a work softball league, and I lost the ball. We were playing a night game, and I lost the ball in the lights. And it, it was coming in. I was playing center field, and the, just the massive softball hit me right in the freaking forehead. Yeah. Well, speaking of, of baseball, before we go, I know, Alec, you wanted to, to get the word out that you're, where we, we are looking for, uh, for a baseball guy to do some stuff for us. Or girl. Or girl, of course, yes. A baseball person. Baseball person, yes. There we go. So reach out to, uh, reach out to us. Uh, how can they do that, Alec? Times at gmail.com. Okay, perfect. And that's, uh, we'll look for a baseball person, and we will uh, be sure to uh, hopefully get that going here soon. Uh, and we'll have another episode of the Lotcast for you next week. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and go Pack!